good morning. You are listening to Radio Maria. This is Tim. We are broadcasting live from Cambridge. It's a lovely sunny day. And um, on the other end of the line, I have Father Toby. Hello, Father Toby. Hi, Tim, and good morning to our listeners. Um, I think it's still a sunny day here. There are no windows in the studio here in London. So uh, I'm I'm only going off what it was like when I walked in here, when it was sunny but freezing cold well, it's glorious this side and um if you've haven't listened to questions of faith before uh, this is a show where father toby and a guest um usually answer questions from callers or from people who've written in and um we were supposed to have sister karina today but she couldn't make it so it will be just myself and father toby and um, we have a few questions that have been sent in, but the real uh, essence of this show is to answer questions live. So we would like to encourage you to call in, and um, the number to dial is 01-223-375-564. And, um, oh, I don't actually have the lines open, so I'm just going to do that quickly. Hopefully nobody's been trying. So the lines are now open and um, any questions that you have pertaining to the faith um, are welcome. And um, Father Toby and I would be glad to answer those for you. Um, And just to say when we refer to any questions sort of pertaining to the faith, we also mean the kind of the 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 living out of it. So they don't have to just be questions about sort of doctrine but you're always welcome to to ask what you know questions about the the liturgy um but also the sort of advice on maybe living out some teaching that you do find uh difficult because the faith encompasses all of that too it's not an abstract set of doctrines it's a truth to be lived that's right and um this week is uh, the week of Christian unity. So if you have a question that revolves around Christian unity, something about ecumenism, we actually do have one that, that I think touches on that a little bit, which we'll get to in a little while, um, that you're very welcome to call in and ask, ask anything about that. There's all kinds of questions that um, crop up with um, especially with converts like myself pertaining to um, the different denominations and things like that. Shall we get on with uh, with one of the ones that have been sent in? Absolutely. Okay. So we have a question from uh, one of our listeners, a very faithful listener named Raj. I'm just going to find it here. So here it is. If a Catholic priest married, then we kick him out of the Catholic Church. But we are accepting Church of England married priests if they convert to Catholicism. And then he mentions how we had a the former priest director, Father Sam, was a married priest from the Church of England. He goes on to say, I don't understand this logic. Where does the church stand on this? Um, So the question is basically asking, uh, why is it that we will accept married priests from the Church of England? And yet when 
and there may be a clarification here that needs to be made. When a priest in the Catholic Church gets married, he gets kicked out. Yeah, that's a, a really good good question. And um, and it does seem at sort of first blush like there's a, a sort of an inconsistency sort of going going on here. Um, what we have to remember first of all is that uh, that uh, priests in in what we call the sort of the Latin rite of the of the Catholic Church, because we have to remember um, first of all that there are there are different rites. Um, that it that it that exist um different expressions of the of the fullness of the catholic church in different places so there are eastern rite uh, priests there are latin rite priests um there are sort of even sort of like congo i, I believe has its have it has its own uh, particular sort of rite in the in the liturgy as does the the sort of the diocese of of uh of milan and, and there are even more of these sort of different different rites um before the second vatican council but it's only in the um in the in the sort of the, the latin rite that we think of where priests um cannot cannot be be married um and get or, and get ordained um but we have to remember that this is what we call a discipline not a doctrine so it is a a a practice that could be changed and there are many people who ask the 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 sort of the hierarchy of the church to to reconsider its um dis the, the discipline that it currently has in place around this uh, rule and we can look at the uh, at the first priests who were the apostles and we know that they were that they were married so obviously being married can't be an obstacle to to being a priest and to sort of fulfilling the the role of a of a priest but what is the consistent practice throughout all the different rites of the churches including those where a priest um can be married is that you can't get married after you've been ordained a priest um and uh, and and so there we get the sort of the first thing where at first this looks inconsistent but um isn't in fact in inconsistent is is the fact that um that a, that an anglican priest who becomes a catholic priest and, and was already married well he's already married um but there's a difference if a if a catholic uh, priest ordained in the latin rite having at his ordination uh vowed celibacy um then goes to get married because first of all he's getting married after he's been ordained and 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 secondly he's also breaking a vow that he made at the time of his ordination to his his bishop um so that means so, that sorry can i jump in then yeah please so, do so uh, priesthood and marriage are not incompatible that's not what the church is saying it's um but it just with the with the priests in the Latin rite, when they come into the priesthood, they come into it having decided that they're choosing this over marriage. Um, and that's an yeah. important thing, distinction to make. Yeah. Now, now, ob obviously, there's a there's a bit of a thing, a problem in that some people might say, oh, well, I might just become an, an Eastern rite priest then and, and then I can get married. But you don't actually 
have that that flexibility like i couldn't i couldn't decide in this country simply oh well i'll get ordained in the in the eastern right and then i'll practice as a priest in this country and, and be married um there's not not a sort of a, a get around around that and in fact it's quite a complicated uh procedure to become a member of a of a different right um of the of the church but then we have to think about well why does the Latin rite have this have this discipline? Why does it have this tradition now of uh, of not allowing its priests to to get married? And the first and most obvious one is that the the Latin rite of the church, well, she she considers this uh, a, a sort of a fuller way of of imitating and of participating in the life of Christ. Who did not? Who did not get married? And given that that a priest is supposed to be an altar Christus, what we call another Christ, um, and during the mass acts as we say in persona Christi, so in the person of Christ, not sort of just pretending, not sort of looking like Christ, but actually doing what he does in the mass through a participation in the sacrifice of Christ and in the life of Christ, then we can see that the unmarried man, um, there is just simply a, a greater consistency with the life of Christ um, if he's not married. Um, and then on a, on a, on a second uh, level, we can, we can look at the, what we call the nuptial theology, which um, exists in the in in the sort of church's understanding of the relationship between God and His people, and all throughout the Old Testament, we we see this nuptial theology present, and we also see it in the in the in the language of of Paul, in particular about the relationship of Christ to the to the church, where Christ is de is described as the groom. And the church is his bride, um, and so the priest, in a in a very real sense, like sort of in persona Christi, acting in the person of Christ, marries the church. And as we know, uh, uh, within Christianity, a man cannot have two wives, um, and so the priest in the Latin rite, who is celibate, sort of in a in a fuller way, um, is able to to live out that uh that marriage to 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 the church um in a fuller way able to to dedicate himself completely and absolutely to his bride the the church which is all of the people that he's called to so so there we can we can see on a on a, on a theological level um how this works but there's also on a on a on a practical level in that simply lots of things that uh that i am asked to do as a priest and the times of day that i'm asked to do them and the things that i'm asked to drop to do them would make it very very difficult for me to be to uh to a family who i uh, to, to be a good a good father and a, and a and a good and a good husband if i was to to then to then do what the the people at the parish the people in the hospital were asking of me um and that's not to say that sort of 
married Anglicans who become Catholic priests are bad priests, and obviously they bring a another understanding of uh, of 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 marriage and 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 different perspectives to their priesthood, which I know many people value. But I think having already become a priest, we can see that to then take on a responsibility to a to another person my my wife and to and and to, and to children to take on that responsibility having become a priest is then to become less available to the people of god whom i'm called to to serve so hopefully that sheds some some light on why there's not an inconsistency between a, a married anglican being able to become a catholic priest but a catholic priest in the Roman right, not being able to get married after he's become a priest. Thank you. I, I think that um, clears it up quite well. And I think it's also, I found it interesting to hear that often the wives of um, married priests who are either from, you know, a different right or have come into the church from the Anglican church often would say that it, they do feel like they are having to share their husband's um, in a way that is is quite a challenge for them, and and sometimes even become advocates of um, the celibate priesthood themselves. Um, yeah, and some of the some of the the married priests themselves are, are some of the sort of staunchest advocates yeah. of the the church maintaining her, her in the Latin rite her discipline of a of a celibate priesthood. So we have some some live questions, which would be nice to get to. Um, I have a caller on the line who's been waiting for some time, so I'm just going to to bring that caller in. Radio Maria, hello. Hello, Tim. It's Lena here. Hi, Lena. Hi, Lena. How are you? I'm okay, darling. Thank you. Thank you for waiting. Hello. Do you have a question for Father Toby? Yes. Just two questions. Does the Catholic Church recognize King David as a saint? Or I'm not familiar with the Jewish tradition. Do the Jewish people recognize him as a saint? And my second question is, I heard this from a sermon of a priest. He said, one day the Holy Spirit will go and the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will stop and the end would come soon. I just want to know what specific part of the Bible did he get that information? Okay. So we have Thank two... you, darling. Thanks. I Lena. can't listen to the radio now because my phone is cracking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That's fine. All right. So, did you get those two questions, Father Toby? I did. Yeah. There's um on the first one about sort of King David, a uh, a saint. Um, I'm not actually sure, sure, sure on on that. To be honest, about King David in in particular, but certainly with with many uh. Old Testament figures, uh, they are sort of revered as as saints um, by the church, and there's the the, the tradition of um, in the in the sort of the harrowing of hell or the descent of Jesus to the dead that we discussed on on questions of faith. Uh, I think it was just last week uh, we had we had that that question, and uh, and and Jesus sort of taking the the righteous. Uh, dead out of Sheol and uh, and bringing them into into heaven. So certainly, it's the understanding that sort of like Moses and and Abraham and and others of the patriarchs and the and the holy women are uh, are saints. I don't know about King David, um, whose life obviously wasn't quite a 
sort of as, as upright as maybe Moses and, and, Ab- and Abraham. I don't know if you know of a tradition, Tim, of, of, of him well, being saved. Um, I'd like, I have a personal interest in this one because uh, David was actually my confirmation saint. Okay. <laughs> well, then, then. Um, and the parish, the parish that I went to were quite happy with me choosing him. So um, I'm not quite sure if that was maybe a little bit unorthodox, but um, from an early age, I've always had a, a strong kind of affinity for the, the character of King David. And I would say that seeing as Jesus comes as the son of David, I'd find it quite hard to believe that he wasn't a saint. If um, just as, you know, when, when Jesus says, uh, why would... It, when he refutes the Sadducees, he says, um, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and uh, Jacob. And just the the association of God's name with those three patriarchs was enough for him to, sh- to show that they, they were not dead but alive. I can't see how, how Christ would be the son of David and associate himself with someone who was not a saint. So that is my take on it. <laughs> okay. Um, I, my slight rejoinder would be to that sort of if we look at the the, ge- the genealogy um, that uh, in both sort of Luke and Matthew, there seem to be figures in there who who Christ is being associated with, who most definitely aren't aren't, aren't saints, and we would think needed a little bit of time in a uh, in, 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 in purgatory or, or or maybe wouldn't wouldn't get there at all i'm i'm not i'm not sure okay. but it, it, it's it's interesting i'd i'd be interested to have a look and to see whether there's any examples of of him in in art um in in churches being revered as a saint mm. and then the second question uh, i wonder sorry I, I, i'm just going to stop you we have somebody in, could we postpone the second question because we have someone in the studio that that has a question and she needs to go Okay. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so Lynette is here. Lynette, would you like to ask your question? Good morning. Thank you. Uh, yes, please. Um, the The question is, um, I've observed in a Roman Catholic Eucharist setting that only the priest gets to drink the wine. Now, I'm not sure that's always the case, but um, there are other denominations as well where I think that may happen and it's different from the tradition I've grown up in where everybody drinks the bread and wine and I wondered if you could um, enlighten me on that please yeah sure um it, in after after Vatican the second the reforms in the liturgy that followed on from the the second Vatican Council in the in the Catholic Church it became more widespread that the the laity received um from the from the chalice as well um but now that's that's been massively sort of curtailed as a as a result of of covid yeah. so i think in in almost all the places uh where th- where that happened um they haven't gone back to that practice but that's um not a not an issue in terms of at communion am i now receiving less because the only way in which you might be receiving less is receiving less of the symbolism but you're not receiving less of the reality because the church's teaching is that in the tiniest particle of what was formerly bread or in the tiniest droplet of 
of what was f f formerly wine is contained the fullness of the divinity of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so when I receive the, the, um, the host alone, or when I receive the precious blood alone, because occasionally some people um, say who are, have a very, very strong uh, gluten in, intolerance, like so severe that even a, a low gluten um, host would cause them to have a violent reaction and they receive just from the chalice. That when they do that, or when somebody just receives a host, that they receive the, the fullness of communion with Christ in that. Um, and part of the reason why the the Catholic Church developed its practice of the laity receiving only um, from the from the, the the host or what were formerly altar breads is out of um, respect for the for the for the sacrament, um, and that's not because the laity weren't worthy to receive it, but simply with what was formerly wine and now is the precious blood, there's a much, much greater chance of, of spillage. Um, and so, and so a, 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 part of, a part of that is just the desire to sort of avoid um, sort of the desecration of our, of, our, of, our, of our Lord and just to treat him with the, sort of the greatest reverence possible um, sacramentally present in the, in the Eucharist. Does that answer your question? Thank you. It, it does. I've got more, as always, but I won't. You've. I. I need to disappear. But okay. thank you very much. All right. David. If you want to call in later, you. Okay. You're welcome Thanks. To. Thanks, okay. Lynette. Bye bye. Bye bye. I think it's probably about time we go to a song. I know that we we still have questions sort of waiting, but um, this is like a child by Jars of Clay. Hope you enjoy it. Surround me as I speak Bridges that I walk across are weak And the frustrations fill the void that I can't solely bear Dear God, don't let me fall apart You've held me close to you But I have turned away and searched for answers I can't understand
like a child A very good morning. You are listening to Radio Maria Live. This is Tim. I'm broadcasting from Cambridge and I have on the other end of the line Father Toby broadcasting from London. And we have been speaking about questions of faith, answering questions that people have been sending to us and calling in and asking us. And um, if you have a question and you'd like us to answer it, the number to dial is 01223-375-564. That's 01223-375-564. But um, while we wait for your calls, we have Niall here in the studio who has a question for us. Hello, Niall. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> Good. Lovely to have you as Thank always. You. What's your question? Well, my question, Father, is uh, why is there a difference like between the Eastern Catholic tradition and us Latin Rite Catholics uh, between uh, leavened bread and unleavened bread? And also, uh, how did those two differences with the liturgy uh, come about and which one is the oldest? So you're speaking specifically about the tradition of leavened bread and unleavened bread, not the two traditions as a whole. And also with the, um, the I think the sacred spoon when they put, dip the bread in the wine. Apparently, when you go up for communion, you have to say your name, and they ask you, "Do you, you know, accept the teaching of that the church?" And does that does that go back to apostolic times? That that tradition was it just in the East? Well, there's quite a short answer to this question. Um, she's like, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think we'll have to, that it'd be interesting. Uh, one of my uh, confreres in Cambridge, Father Gregory Pearson, uh, is um, knows a great deal on the sort of Eastern, Eastern rites. Um, and, uh, and I know when he was in, in Rome, actually, he used to uh, reg- regularly attend uh, at sort of Eastern Rite churches and, and did his diaconate in 
uh, placement in St. Petersburg. So we must get him on maybe to 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 do a program on the uh, the Eastern Rites and how the variations developed. I certainly I just know from the from the Roman Rite that the the reason we use unleavened bread um, is in the sort of the greater symbolism to the uh, the unleavened bread at Passover. Yeah, and uh, and and the Eucharist is a is the is the fulfillment of the sacrifice at at the at the Passover, um, and also just with sort of unleavened bread, there's also less risk of of crumbs. Uh, I I've I've been to Eastern Rite uh, masses in the, uh, the a Ukrainian priest who I was once uh, on a conference with and he was the i was a deacon at the time he was the only only priest and so we had the uh, celebrated his right each day and and received in that way you said of the of the sort of um morsels of the bread intincted in the in the wine and then put it into your mouth using a a little little spoon i don't actually recall um being asked the question about whether whether i accepted it at the moment but but that's what you're doing when you when you come up to communion and the priest says the body of Christ you say amen you are saying i believe that this is what you said it is the the priest is declaring the faith and when you say amen you're declaring your assent to it and so that's a, a good practice for us to sort of go through when we're receiving communion to 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 make sure that the sort of amen isn't just a go through the motions response, but something that that we really say, you know, yeah, I recognise the enormity of what it is that I, that I'm receiving here, and it's not that you have to shout out um, amen, but to but to say it with conviction, and then to to live out the reality of of what you've what you've received. Thank you, Father. There's quite a lot of similarities then between the two liturgical traditions. Yeah, like sometimes because this is the 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 thing that Saint John Henry Newman uh, recognised when he started to to look at the at the early church and to read the writings of the church fathers. And interestingly, he said to read the to read the church fathers is to cease to be Protestant. And what he saw as um, lots of non-biblical uh, traditions present in the in the catholic church and lots of things that he thought had been invented um with no biblical precedent and no precedent in the tradition he found out that in fact actually what you saw was that this the essence of the faith was only truly preserved in the in the catholic church and he saw that it that it wasn't present in the in the ecclesial communion to which to which he he belonged and he saw that whilst the outward expression might look different the reality that was being expressed by that was the same in the same way that the the oak tree and the acorn are in continuity and yet the oak tree doesn't look at all like the the acorn and so in the in the different rites of the church sometimes we see different expressions of the the same reality in the same way that people in in different countries have different ways of of greeting one another 
um, a different outward expression of the of the same inward disposition of you know I'm pleased to see you I I welcome you and so that's why it's always good to to ask ourselves questions well what does it mean when we do this in the in the liturgy why why are we why are we doing this um, so that so that I begin to sort of enter more deeply into the the rich symbolism which is present in the mass. Thank you, Father. Great. Um, yeah, I find that very interesting myself, the idea of the leaven and the unleavened bread, and I suppose what is perhaps important and would uh, worry some people if you go into an Eastern Catholic church is that it is still a valid Eucharist, even if there, if it is um, leavened bread, because that would be my first concern, I think. Um, but to know that both of these traditions are valid, I think, is is quite encouraging, actually. Yeah, and not not a sort of like valid in a oh well, this is you know just about tolerated and and okay. That this is a a rich tradition with its own history, which is part of the the richness of the the Catholic Church and the the diversity in unity is part of the the evidence of the the fullness of christ present present in the church oh. well i'm going to go to another song and hopefully we can get um charles to come and answer ask his question um or shall we go to the second part of that question that Leona gave us maybe that's a, a better idea yeah we'll just quickly do that um i can only think that what the uh when Lena asked about the priest saying there will come a night time when the uh, the Holy Spirit will no longer be be present, that that the priest would have been referring to the the end of the the end of the world um, and the the second coming of of Christ, where um, this world as we know it will end, and and the holy the Holy Spirit will never end. But if this world ends, then the Holy Spirit's presence. And it also necessarily ends, and so I think he must have just been preaching about the the end times as opposed to a, an absence of the Holy Spirit in our in our lives, because the you know, where one person of the the Trinity is, all all members of the Trinity are, are present because there's one divine nature and three persons. That's great. Yeah. Um... So we have Charles here, and Charles has a question for us. Um, hello, Charles. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you just fine. So um, I was in a discussion, and uh, I was asked, it's, it's about uh, confession and the sacramental seal. That um, So basically, are there any circumstances when a priest should alert another authority following disclosure in the confessional to protect future innocent victims. And I suppose, um, I, I, so for example, what is the guidance for a child sex offender in the family um, in protecting the victim? A very good question, I think. Yeah, and the, and the, the answer is uh, there, are, there are no circumstances in which the priest can divulge what he's, what he's heard in the in the in the confessional and the and the priest um it's under sort of pain of pain of ex excommunication um that's the uh the the priest uh 
observes the sacramental seal and, and preserves the the secrecy of the of the of the confessional and i know that that sort of to some some people hear that as if the the church is trying to sort of protect um pedophiles Peter, Peter or sort of offering them a place of, of sanctuary or or a cheap cheap way out um but it's it's not that like first of all if we just think humanly speaking if if there were um no 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 sacramental seal then there's a very good chance that that person wouldn't come to to confession in the in the first place and wouldn't then receive the the grace of god to to help them in the the terrible affliction that they have because to experience a a sexual de desire for for children must just be the the most horrendous abhorrent thing and particularly in a in a world which sort of preaches sexual permissiveness of of every single sort this is the the sort of the last remaining taboo although it, even in some circles they seek to sort of break that break that taboo um but what the priest is supposed to do in confession in confession um and cannot give ab absolution uh, without being certain of this is that the person has a a firm purpose of amendment um now that doesn't mean that the person or the priest has to be a hundred percent certain that this person is never going to to do to do this again um but if if i had this situation sort of occur in in the confessional and uh, it sounded to me like what the person was was saying uh suggested that there was a very very real risk of them sort of offending again or of them offending in the future i might tell them that if they wish to display to me their firm purpose of amendment um that they must seek professional help with this and that they must go and seek the the proper counsel or the proper help with this otherwise i wouldn't be convinced that they did genuinely um desire to 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 conquer this to conquer this vice and to and to protect innocent innocent people but i could never divulge anything of that of that of that conversation in the in the confessional perhaps it's helpful to know that the priest is not just there to sort of wipe the slate clean and and have the person um leave you know with this kind of easy way out as you say I mean, there is also the um, prescribing of a penance, which, um, as you say, it could involve a number of things. Um, it could even involve that person somehow making some kind of reparation for whatever damages has been done. And that penance is then uh, conditional. Uh, the, the absolution is conditional on the penance. Am I right in saying that? Not, it's, it's generally, no, the sort of, the, somebody somebody's performing the penance um would would be uh evidence of the of the effect of the sacrament and the true 
contrition that, that they had um because you know penance is supposed to to make reparation for what we've done and if we're truly sorry then we wish to make um reparation but say it sometimes happens if somebody sort of simply forgets to do their their penance um then it's not that they've not been absolved from the sin the the abs the absolution occurs then and then and there okay. in in that moment um that sort of god's god's forgiveness isn't isn't taken back but if the person having said yes i will do this penance doesn't intend to do this penance then god knows what's on their heart um and if the purpose of the penance is to display contri is to display contrition and if the effect of the sacrament of confession is to make us truly sorry for what we've done then the then the person in a, in a meaningful way won't have received the 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 effect of the of the sacrament and this is where we have to get away from the sort of the legalistic idea of of confession um which is like you know i i do something bad i go say that i'm sorry and now the slate's white clean um it's not that the confessional is is primarily about the the restoration of a of a of a relationship and in and that's why sort of it's only mortal sin that we need to go to confession for confessing our venial sins is is good practice but it's mortal sin because there's something about mortal sin in the same way as in relationships between between people that are that can't just be allowed to let slip now if uh, charles's sort of you know wife was to demand um forgiveness for him from every little peccadillo that charles had then perhaps uh, he'd be forever saying sorry um I don't. <laughs> the word would be permanently on on his on his lips but rather in rela in relationships there are some things which we we let go we know the person doesn't intend to do that and we don't demand an expression of contrition for it um every single time that it that it happens but there are certain things which can't just be let slide or certain things which a, a text message wouldn't do there are certain things which we need to say sorry for in person and show that we're truly sorry mm. and uh, and it's that is uh, analogous to what's going on in in confession with the confession of of mortal sin in that something which is a is a sort of a relationship breaker um i need to come and restore the relationship in person uh with the with the god who i love in the same way as when i sort of grievously do something against a, another person who i love i need to to come before them in person and ask for, for forgiveness is that helpful charles uh, yes i mean it, it confirms my stance but uh yeah good anyway but thank you I, it was a it's a it's a topic that comes up but sometimes we don't want to yeah express so it's um it's nice to have this this forum to be able to bring these questions yeah and there is there's 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 pressure um in various countries to essentially make the priests obligations in confession sort of illegal um i know i'm not sure where things are at in australia but i know that it's that it's certainly um been uh suggested that it that it become a crime 
for a priest not to not to reveal a, an admission of of paedophilia in the in the in the confessional um but how actually then you sort of prosecute something like that because the priest the priest would just make complete silence you know he wouldn't even confirm whether that person had come to see him for for confession or not um so it would essentially be thought crime being prosecuted yeah yeah these are all actually quite relevant things that uh, bear down on us in in various ways um, thank you so much for that question, Charles. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Just you a reminder, time. if you want to call in and ask a question, we do have a time left for two, uh, one or two. And um, the number to dial is 01223-375-564. That's 01223-375-564. In the meantime, we're going to go to a song by Father Tanzi. This is called Tree.
That was Father Tanzi singing Tree. You are listening to Radio Maria, and we have been doing questions of faith with Father Toby and myself. And we have a caller on the line. This is James. Hello, James. Hi, how's it going, Tim? And uh, hi, Father Toby. Hi, James. Good to hear from you. James, where are you yeah, calling yeah, from? Uh, I'm calling from London at the moment. Lovely. Okay. James, we don't have that much time, so let's get straight into your question. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, Basically, the question I have is, um, with, with a lot of division going on in the church lately, and unfortunately a lot of people leaving the faith, um, how, how do we hold uh, charitably, of course, uh, the, the hierarchy accountable for certain things that may not be doctrinal or things like that without falling into schism? Because it's, 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 quite, it's quite a hard thing because you don't, you, you obviously have to understand like papal infallibility and things like that, but it, it, it is causing quite a few people to leave the church, unfortunately. So... How do we go about doing that charitably? Yeah, I, I think that's a it's a really good question, James, and I know sort of one that, that a lot of people I I know sort of feel feel troubled troubled by. Um, I sort of speak from my sort of personal experience in, in a little way in that when I was sort of less at the the cold face and when I was a sort of student brother i used to spend a lot more time reading the the newspapers sort of about what was what was going on in in all parts of the the church and especially in roman in the, in the hierarchy and i i used to get sort of troubled by it and then i i went and, and studied in 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 rome and uh, and i realized that some of my sort of top professors in the in the various and people who i re respected and ad admired a great deal that in the various sort of debates and discussions that were going on about the future direction of the church or maybe about some particular teaching that that they were engaged in these battles they were engaged in these discussions and that and that i didn't i didn't need to be and that i didn't really have anything in particular that i could add apart from my uh, my, my my prayers for all those all those concerned and i think one of the difficulties of the the internet age that we that we live in is it enables us to sort of be aware of all the problems going on in all the world at, at, at any given time and it can feel like a bit too much and so my encouragement to to people is is not to 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 be naive but to to live a, a more local life to 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 focus on on loving and transforming the situation around you to focus on living out the fullness of the faith which has been handed on to us in the in the particular place in which god has called us to to live and then to take away that sort of that being anxious and that and that being concerned and to and to trust that the the holy spirit prevails um and and the church will not ultimately fall into error and to be conscious of of what i can do and what i cannot do um and to be conscious of if i'm reading about these things in in newspapers or online or on on blogs is it dragging me away from prayer is it helping me to love more or is it just making me more anxious? So there's a balance there between being sort of naive um, and, uh, 
and 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 actually just being realistic about what it is I'm I'm able to to do. And so I would say the the first place to sort of hold somebody in the hierarchy to account would be in the parish in which you practice. So if you if you hear the priest speaking sort of falsehoods there, then yeah, like challenge 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 him. Say what you said, Father. Well, that's not in accordance with the church's teaching. Do so in a charitable way because you might have misunderstood what he was saying, or he just might not have been very clear um but to be to be more present in the places where we live and not to be mentally present in places far away from where we live such that we don't love where we are is that helpful james that was absolutely helpful toby uh, father toby sorry you put that brilliantly uh, i'd be honest with you just online and uh and things like that it has taken me a lot for prayer and it really does make you anxious it almost makes you angry sometimes until you take an outside opinion and Thankfully, I haven't really been looking at as much online as of yet, and honestly, I'm feeling a lot more closer to God, a lot more closer to the Holy Spirit. So again, Father Toby, I really, really appreciate that answer you gave. Wonderful. Thanks very much for calling in, James. Much appreciated. Thank you, yeah, James. You too, Thanks. God bless. Keep well. God bless. Well, Father Toby, I think that sort of brings us more or less to the end of this week's Questions of Faith. It's been Thank lovely. You. lovely Thank you. Thank you to all our, all our listeners. For your for your questions, um, please pray for our work. And let's just finish with a prayer before we go to the the Angelus and Mass at, at Walsingham. And particularly in this week of October Christian Unity, we we pray um, that that we might strive that that our Lord's desire that that they that we might all be one, as He and the Father are one. Uh, that we do whatever the the Lord is asking us to do to to live to live that out and to make that reality uh, more fully present in His church, and we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.